Hello everyone and welcome back to Fast Charge. This week I am joined by Toddy who's going to be running us through the OnePlus Nord. And we also have Aniron, he's going to be chatting about a new Microsoft Foldable that looks pretty incredible. And finally we're going to turn to China and India whose uh, actual physical border feud has kind of spiralled into the app space as India has banned TikTok. Okay, we will start with the OnePlus Nord, which is finally, officially, definitely the name of the new budget slash mid-range OnePlus phone that's on the way. We thought it might be the OnePlus 8 Lite or the OnePlus Lite or the OnePlus Z. We now know it's the Nord. We know it's coming very soon. We actually, at the time of this recording, the first few people have already pre-ordered it, though they don't actually know what they've paid for it or what they're buying. <laughs> but they pre-ordered it, so good for them. Uh, uh, Tony, what do we know? Um, yeah, the, the, to the point of the pre-orders, and actually everything around this, including the name. Um, OnePlus has really been milking the whole kind of reveal of the Nord. Like, mm -hmm. th there have been rumours of it since the end of last year, end of 2019. And most of that has been just like leaks and rumours from known tipsters and other sources online. But then OnePlus themselves started teasing it pretty recently in the last month or so. Um, quite blatantly, really. You know, one of the things that went up, I think, early last week... Um, first and foremost, they created an Instagram account called the OnePlus Dead Light thing. <laughs> yeah. Literally kind of like jesting at the whole kind of nature of speculation around the name of the product. Which, which was, was probably... also, that was also the moment they essentially acknowledged it was the Nord. Because that's the <laughs> yeah. only name they didn't put in there of the rumoured ones. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And they've now actually changed that Instagram account to OnePlus.Nord. If you want to look it up on Instagram, it's it's there now. Um, and in that account, they, they posted a whole host of photos um, from the development process, from within their offices in, I think it's uh, either, it looks like the office I visited in Taiwan, but it could have been in Shenzhen. It wasn't very clear where it was. But in one of those photos, Cole Pei, and one of the founders, was literally holding some paperwork that said the Nord name on it. So that was how they officially, effectively, or teased, revealed the name. Yep. Um, beyond that, the, the whole focus of the Nord is, you know, loads of people have, have talked about the fact that OnePlus, which founded itself as this kind of subversive underdog who who made the flagship killer with the OnePlus One um, way back when the company started, I think it was 2014 when the OnePlus One hit. Mm -hmm. uh, they've kind of lost that edge because they have grown in popularity and they've grown up as a company. And so they're making some really excellent flagship devices, but they are exactly that. Like the OnePlus 8 and 8 Pro are their most expensive phones ever and they are very close to what you could expect to pay from LG and Samsung. Um, they're not quite a thousand pounds, but they are they are definitely getting there. So the OnePlus Nord, as well as being um it's it's effectively gonna be their next mid-range device, which we haven't seen since the OnePlus X, which I think was 2015, alongside the OnePlus 2 it launched. Uh, that didn't do so well, but they are kind of taking inspiration from that first product, the OnePlus One, like how they rolled that out, how they marketed it, all this viral marketing, this kind of drumming up hype in the way they're doing it. Um, is really interesting. I think it's very different to what they've done. It is different to what we've kind of seen in the market in terms of the particular approach. Um, yep. And you also see with, uh, they've also now got a documentary, which is is charting the trials and tribulations of, of developing the Nord. They've already released part one, which they released on June 30th, which is, as we recall this yesterday, um, and that initially debuted on the Instagram account, again, to reinforce that viral release. Mm -hmm. uh, and then they are, I think, part two comes out on July 7th. Um, and 
the expected launch date for the phone is July 10th. So I'm expecting them to do part three and then four on the 10th and the phone in its entirety will then be available. But as you mentioned at the start, they already have pre-orders. Uh, in the UK, you can throw down 20 quid and the earlier you pre-order, the few extra gifts you get in the run-up to the phone yep. release, which is quite cool. Um, I, you know, not to correct you on air, but I'm not sure the July 10th is going to be the launch because they're running pre-orders well, on July 15th. No, oh, well, there you go. <laughs> that was a speculated one. I'm about to go through it after this and yeah. do an update. So I'll be, yeah. So, but so, July, so yeah, I, I think we'll see the phone launch. Yeah. Um, and they're going to tease it out over each part of this four-part documentary until that point. Exactly. So, so they've yeah. announced sort of the pre-order schedule, which is what I'm reading from, which is on their website. But mm-hmm. actually the best place to get that information, as Toddy has already said, is their Instagram account, oneplus.nord. Um, but yeah, they ran again uh, this morning at the time we're recording. That's the 1st of July. They did 100 pre-orders of the phone. Um, again, with no one really, you basically put down a deposit of £20 or equivalent in another currency, I guess, depending on where you are. Uh, for that, you get sent a gift, um, some sort of merch and the guarantee that you will be able to buy the phone once there's a price, once there's a release date, all of that. They're doing another wave on July 8th. Um, I'm not sure if that's another 100 phones or a different amount. And then on July 15th, they're doing a 24-hour pre-order window. So then I guess the full release is probably going to be the 22nd, because that would be a week after that. These are all spaced a week apart. So that yeah, would sound right. plausible. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, late, late, mid to late July for the actual uh, final thing. But I guess on the 15th, when they do that 24-hour pre-order, my bet is by then we're going to know a lot more. And as we said, each week is going to have a new documentary drop and a new pre-order window and a new tease of, of stuff. Um, pretty much the only confirmed spec we have so far, I don't think we've mentioned yet, is it's running the Snapdragon 765G. So we've seen that in the LG Velvet recently uh, that Chris was talking about on last week's episode. Um, it's the, you know, not quite Snapdragon's top 865 tier, but it's the next one down. It's got 5G. It will be very fast. It'll be very smooth. It won't be like top, 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 top performance, but it should be very good. And actually the fact that LG is putting that in a phone, they're putting at seven, 800 pounds, um, or seven, 800 dollars. Uh, the fact that then OnePlus are putting that in a phone that they've already said will be below $500 and below 500 euros, that says that it will still end up being good value for the performance you're getting. Um, I'm, I don't think they're the only company doing a 765 or 765G phone below that price line, but it's still a sign of like a good value to money ratio. Uh, yeah, one, one of the interesting things I saw was that I think one of the articles I read... Um, it was almost like OnePlus had created a gap in the market for itself to fill. Because if you look at like some of the other kind of Chinese companies and Samsung, the amount of phones they release in a year is huge. It's like dozens mm-hmm. across all their kind of different lines. And then OnePlus is kind of stuck to these kind of core four phones a year uh, kind of update schedule. I guess due in part kind of the constraints to them as a smaller company. But yeah. also... Um, but there's clearly an appetite for a more affordable phone, as we've seen from like the iPhone SE, Pixel 3a, and 4a, which we expect to be coming. So it's kind of, and then obviously the software that has, um, the software that has been, like the Oxygen OS that so many people love on OnePlus phones will will be the same on this kind of more affordable phone. So I think it's obviously, it's kind of a smart move, I think, at the moment, especially when people yeah. maybe don't have as much money to spend on a new phone. I mean, the pitch the pitch they've given is really this is going to be flagship level polish at at a lower price, which I think I, I agree is is a space that's kind of 
not empty. That is where the iPhone SE is, mm-hmm. in a sense, depending on your views on the, the design. Um, that is kind of where the Pixel 3a tried to sit last year and where we assume the 4a is going to end up. But I think it's fair to say that's often what you don't get in the mid-range devices. You get phones that are... Um, it's a very competitive space, but often what they're trying to do is hit flagship level specs, but by hitting them and doing them badly, if that makes sense. You know, they'll go for the quad camera, but it'll be a bad quad camera. I feel like the way OnePlus is going to lean into this is, I'm, I'm, we may well be wrong, we know nothing about the camera specs, except that they say it's flagship level. I feel like what that means is they're going to put in one lens, maybe two lenses, but they're going to be good rather than going for a triple or quadruple lens camera but with middling hardware or without the software optimization um especially since the 765g very good but it won't power quite the same camera stuff as the 865 would um the kind of level of optimization you'll get from from the hardware side is going to be a bit lower yeah in a i was reading an interview just before this actually um from Carl Pei, who's already actually given at least one interview on the Nord specifically. And yeah, whilst they didn't confirm anything extra, they said the kind of three things underpinning the Nord approach are first and foremost, the camera, that's what they want to get right. Uh, and then it's the user experience, like you said, and Iron, that is kind of a fundamental draw of any OnePlus device. Um, and then the third one was just OnePlus quality, which, uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> it's, it's, I, I have no kind of qualms with the, the quality of the devices nowadays. I think they're all very good. Um, but, but I think I, would, I, th- I, th- yeah, so I think his line on quality was just it's that idea they they put a lot of emphasis on the attention to detail they put yeah. in, in hardware design, um, which I think is fair. You know, when when you when you put when you look at the eight or the eight um, the eight pro, they're very every bit of it feels very carefully chosen. You never get yes. that feeling that they've just kind of thrown bits together. There's every aspect of volume buttons or anything like that. Like... Exactly. Um, so I think the idea is it will have that flagship feel that again you don't always find in the mid-range space um i do think sometimes the way they've been talking about this does they're promising flagship and they cannot deliver flagship because they're just below 500 i'm expecting the uh oppo find x2 neo but a bit cheaper yeah that's a really nice phone the specs are decent it also has a 765g in it like Mm. and that's about 600 right yeah, yeah, sounds about right. Yeah, um, and and obviously, like, whilst they never ever say anything, like they share factory space with Oppo, yeah. so it wouldn't be that much of a stretch to think that the tooling may carry across some of the tooling that made the Find X. X2 oh, totally. Video. And and if like, you look at the the eight Pro and the Find X two Pro, they are very very similar <laughs> devices. So yeah, uh, so that's that's a good indicator if you want to know what to expect in terms of the final product. Um, and I think that's, I think it's a nice aesthetic, I think, from the leaks or all the renders that people have kind of guessed at. Um, one thing we haven't really seen is like case leaks, which mm. used to give you an indication of like at least camera placement and stuff. We still don't know whether it's going to be a central camera or an offset camera. Um, but the ones I've seen have had an offset. I've heard discussions over whether it's going to have one front facing punch hole or a dual front facing punch hole. Mm. Um, and this can also be something we haven't really touched on is that was kind of clarified this this week was that the OnePlus Nord isn't necessarily a singular device. It is actually yeah. the name for a whole product line. We're just going to see the first one, we assume, on, as you said, Dom, July 22nd-ish. Um, so, yeah, so, so maybe everything's right. And we're going to see some with a single camera, some with a double camera, some with a central camera, some with wireless charging, yeah. some without. We don't really know exactly. But this it, first device, under $500, euros, decent cameras, 5G, all that good stuff. 
Yep. Uh, it's also probably worth talking about the... We've talked a bit about the pre-orders, but not actually the release in the geographic sense, which is also an odd one. So it is yeah. coming... At the very least, this first device is coming first to Europe and India. It sounds like it may, functionally speaking, only come to Europe and India. Uh, North America is going to have what's been called limited access <laughs> through a special beta period or something. So there'll be some sort of program to get a phone if you're in the US or Canada. But it doesn't sound like it's getting a full launch, maybe ever. Is the trepidation there because of the carriers? I'm not sure why. Because I feel like the US market is a good market for them. But maybe maybe it's not as good as I thought. I'm I'm not sure. Yeah, I, a carrier, carriers must be a thing. I think they're much more powerful in the US than we're used to here in Europe. Uh, it is a funny one because there's a bigger space in the mid-range market in the US because they don't have a lot of Chinese OEMs that, like we do in Europe or in India. So you would think actually there's more space for them to carve out a competitive niche over there. But it is worth remembering they've always had slightly different release patterns between the US and, and some of their other markets. Uh, I can't remember which way around it went, but I think in the 7s or the 70s, there was sort of one, I think they put the, the US got the 7 Pro, but it never got the 7. They just had the 6T oh, yeah, and that went straight right. to the 70. Yeah. Uh, so they, they've always treated it a little bit differently in different markets. So that that must be what's going on here. And yeah, I guess they're trying to figure out if there's carrier interest in a mid-range OnePlus phone over there or not, or whether they just want to be marketed as a flagship brand in the States. Uh, we'll see. What's odd is they haven't mentioned China. So they're saying Europe and India first, and there's been no mention of if or when this phone will come to China, which which is an odd one. Um, I do wonder, I can't remember if we've talked about this on the show or not, I do think they are, OnePlus is maybe trying to move away from positioning itself as a Chinese brand, I think and so. this may be part of that. Um, so we'll see. I think they may sort of angle it a bit more as not a Chinese phone, for better or worse, and, and for, whatever, for whatever position they think that gives them in the market. I don't really know. But yeah, we will know more. We kind of, we were having an eye about when to talk about this because as Toddy says, we've had a torturous drip feed of information yeah. and, and it's just <laughs> going to keep on happening. I know by the time, this time next week, we'll know a little bit more about it and we'll know a little bit more the week after that. I think I'm updating but... our like OnePlus Nord feature daily, if not multiple times a day at this point, <laughs> yeah. because yeah, by the time the day's over, they've already added like three extra tidbits of information. So yeah, exactly. keep an eye on that if you want to find out exactly what's going on. But uh, yeah, uh, keep an eye on the OnePlus page if you are tempted to pre-order it. They are making a fuss about saying you get merch if you pre-order and the earlier you get in in the pre-order window, the more merch you'll get. But obviously it's super competitive. And otherwise, yeah, just hold out because they are going to tell you more about the phone. And I'm guessing it, at least in, if you're in Europe or India, it will be easy to get hold of if you're willing to wait another few weeks. Okay, on to something that will not be easy to get hold of for years, if ever, but it's so cool we have to talk about it. Uh, Microsoft has patented a new type of foldable dual screen type device. There's no name for this thing. It's not an official product. We have no idea if they're ever going to do it. But it's so cool. So, so cool. <laughs> I want it now. Uh, and Nairon, what is it? Yeah, so basically, I think it was uh, sometime mid-May, Microsoft patented this new kind of dual screen device, which would have, which where both the screens would be detachable. Um, and so previously, obviously, we've got the Surface uh, Duo, which we spoke about a, couple, a few weeks ago, and the Neo, which are both going to be dual screen devices where kind of the two screens can work independently. But then this is going to kind of, it looks like it might take it to the next level in the fact that you can really use them completely separately and 
but you'll still have all the functionality of kind of um, using it at lots of different angles. Um, and yeah. there'll be like strong magnets in place that will make it really, really flexible for lots of different use cases. Um, so, so to clarify the form fact for people, it, it's basically, it's sort of like two phones with a mag with magnetic sides that can then clap together. Yeah. So you then have a tablet that you could pull apart the two parts of it and use them each discreetly, which is incredible because that means each has its own processor and battery and display and RAM and everything. This is, you know, it's not one device with two parts. It's two devices that can attach together to then seamlessly work as one. Yeah, and uh, it, the interesting bit on this, obviously, patents are by no means it's going to come out as an actual product, but it's kind of more an insight into what Microsoft is looking at design-wise. Um, yep. Obviously, this would be completely different to anything we've seen on the market before. Um, yeah, the interesting thing is obviously what software it might run. The fact that, so we've got the Surface Duo. You'd think if it's in that kind of, form for that kind of size, you're looking at two kind of phone screens, then it would make sense to run on Android. But then again, the Neo is like running Windows 10X, which is like a modified version of Windows, which is going to be um, specifically designed for the dual screen devices. So it will be interesting to see what it does there. And then, but then one of the things that I had a problem with was how long we've had to wait from Microsoft's current foldables being announced until we actually get our hands on them. Um, so the fact that I think there's lots of rumours the uh, Neo will be delayed into 2021 um, and that the Duo is still still scheduled for the end of this year. Um, but I'd really hope, because that's the kind of the frustrating thing, we see a really exciting idea for a product or even a product being officially launched and then we're waiting so long to get our hands on it that the kind of the um, excitement inevitably dies down. So it'll be interesting well, to see. Yeah. We've also spoken about this before. The issue is, is partly about the excitement and buzz dying. It's partly also the specs moved on they yes. locked themselves into design decisions that then meant they couldn't upgrade to the newer processes that got announced in the meantime uh and a sort of so when the duo does come out it will be behind specs wise um mm -hmm. we'll, we'll see I, I imagine microsoft will have learned that lesson and whatever if this ever becomes a real thing they'll hold off on revealing anything official till yeah. there's something closer to a, a marketable product when they unveiled the Duo and the Neo, like, because it was, you know, at the time they said this isn't coming until 2020, and obviously now it's been delayed even further, do you think they were just worried that the things they were actually launching, like the Surface Laptop 3, etc., weren't enough of a deal that they wanted to just, you know, flood media outlets with, with this crazy concept stuff just to get the Microsoft name out there? It just seems like a weird play to, you know, as you say, lock them in to a design and some hardware. I th I think they wanted to be able to say they did something first. I think Microsoft's hardware stuff over the last few years has been pretty strong in the Surface line, but not necessarily all that novel. It's often just sort of a fairly polished Windows-run, Microsoft-backed version of the kind of things other companies are also making. And I guess, I, I don't think generally Microsoft is the kind of company people will associate with cutting-edge innovation and crazy form factors and getting doing things first and that kind of thing i think this was their way of kind of they wanted that kind of attention they wanted to say look we're doing this and so yeah this is going to be a form factor other people are going to do it but they wanted everyone to know microsoft did it first and microsoft's in a position it's one of those few companies that can kind of try something pretty wacky and out there and can kind of um they don't necessarily need it to be a success particularly in the first generation so 
you think of like with Samsung going with the first fold where it wasn't it wasn't a polished product that most people should buy but it's kind of a window on what they're doing and then you know that by the by the time this the second fold or the third one comes out there'll be a lot more kind of it'll have kind of more of a mainstream appeal so i think that's kind of part of the strategy and then like what yep. you said where it's kind of feeling like it wants to do something first and to kind of change the direction of the market somewhat so what's funny about again back to the actual sort of design they've patented uh this time this dual screen hinged thing that pulls apart is it we spoke last week again about the lg velvet and the lg velvet's dual screen attachment mm-hmm. which lg has had for a few phones this is kind of a very expensive way of doing that. <laughs> I was wondering what, about that. Like, are you going to yeah. pay for two devices effectively? Because that's what you've got. <laughs> because the difference is what LG did there is it's a separate attachable screen. You can take the phone out and use that on its own, but you can't use the second screen on its own. But that makes sense because you're never actually going to need both devices on their own. One of them can just be a screen. Um and that, that makes the whole thing a lot cheaper. It's cheap enough they can throw it in as a freebie in the box, essentially. It's just a display that connects over USB-C and, and has a hinge. Uh, this, from the sounds of the patent, is two functioning devices. Maybe that's a miscommunication in the patent or something, or maybe it is just a kind of question, this is the kind of thing they're exploring that even they know it's probably never realistic. But yeah, you have to wonder what the... It's so cool and I love it, but also is it practical at all? Because when would you need to use both separately? The only use case that kind of makes sense to me is like, say, if when you untether them, they are still wirelessly connected to each other somehow. So you could, um, for instance, and uh, we don't know what the IO would be, like what ports they would have. But imagine if one became like a media remote for the other. So I could sit on the sofa and I could plug the other half into my TV, which isn't a smart TV. And then I could throw Netflix on there from this one. And it's wide, like maybe, maybe yeah. something like that, or like just a really cool way to play Battleship. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> if it runs Android, maybe it's going to be the first like local portable Stadia Switch, like Switch competitor yeah, right. or something wow, crazy. Yeah. I, don't know. <laughs> I, I was definitely imagining Switch Joy-Con there. Just put some gyroscopes in, so yeah. that you can like play tennis with them. Absolutely. <laughs> I'd also love to see if this, you know, if this is the kind of form factor they're thinking of. Just go all out make it modular, I want to be able to stack like eight of them together, you know? <laughs> just have them be magnetic hinges on both sides so you can, like, as many of them as you can afford, you can stack together and just get a bigger, longer screen that starts, like, folding up in zigzags. If they could sell it like a Surface where it comes with just one half and a keyboard, but you can still connect two together and another yep. user's one, that might have more viability mm-hmm. as a real world product but mm. it doesn't seem very real world i don't know how cool you guys think but i don't <laughs> yeah i i don't see the i don't see how you can put the sort of price that justifies whatever feature it's going to bring i don't feel that it brings enough new use case to justify how incredibly expensive it will be inevitably no mm. but i love that someone is looking at form factors like this I know we talked about this a few times, but the LG Wing we were talking about before, which has the like the flippy T-shaped dual screen setup, stuff like that. Uh, it's great to see different companies looking at all this stuff, and the fact that when people started going foldables, not every company took the same line on that, and that was, I guess, the fear that we after years of boring phones. Let's be blunt, phones have all looked the same for a long time, and when foldables started, there was a risk they'd all just do the same thing as Samsung did. And in fact, already we've seen Samsung has two form factors. Huawei picked a different form factor. 
Motorola picked one that's similar to one of the Samsung form factors. LG kind of went, uh, we're not going to actually have a folding screen, but we will do the dual screens. That's cool. Microsoft also did that, but is coming up with three different ways to do it. Um, it's nice to see that this space is getting weird because yeah, that's what phones need. <laughs> Lenovo had that that X1, whatever it was, that we yep. saw at CS, which was yep. pretty cool with that magnetic keyboard that overlaid on half the screen. Yeah, and, and made it hard. Dell has done good. some concept stuff a bit like that as well. Dell's done some concept foldables and dual screen things that are also pretty pretty nifty. So partly that's just everyone figuring out what works, but I guess it's nice to see that all so in the open, you know, to get a public look at all of these weird things these companies are trying out. Uh, can I just clarify, Naren, was this supposed to be in the open? Was it just like spotted or unearthed? Oh, it's, yeah, it was spot, Windows Latest were the first um, right, site okay. that kind yeah. of published it. Um, because yeah, I think it was from uh, the middle of May, so it's right, it's right. kind of been a few weeks before people have actually either dived into the patent history. But I think yeah. it, they're like publicly available online, so if people right. wanted it's, it's to, patent, they could. Right. Yeah, they, they didn't they didn't make a point of announcing it, but once you file a patent, it's gonna get out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, cool. Okay. I mean, yeah. If if we're lucky, this will be a product within three years. I'm not so optimistic, but uh, yeah. I, w I wanted to talk about that and nerd out on, on weird magnetic dual screen foldable things for a bit. <laughs> uh, our, our, our last topic is a little less like uh, upbeat, perhaps. Um, so India has banned 59 Chinese apps from uh, Indian app stores, uh, including TikTok, which is the big one. But there's also stuff like WeChat. Clash of Kings, um, a lot of the Weibo and QQ stuff. So those are some of the really, really big uh, apps, at least within China. Uh, this is, it's been attributed to security concerns. Surprise, surprise. Uh, it may not shock you as much to learn that India and China are in the middle of a Himalayan border conflict at the moment. So there may be some other strange little political pressures being applied to this decision that go beyond what TikTok actually does. But yeah, it, it's one of those, I think, following the Huawei uh, trade ban from the US, obviously, I think this is one of the second times we've really seen the phone industry and uh, phone software in particular used as a weapon in trade disputes and in sort of actual international disputes and with China at the wrong end of it both times, essentially. But I think people are basically... Other governments are beginning to realize that the flip side of China being the dominant player in tech is that if if they're willing to take the hit of banning something, they can hit China where it hurts, essentially, when they want to get back at China for some other political thing it's playing at. Uh, this is also actually the second time India's tried to ban TikTok, which kind of reveals that it's there's maybe something else going on. Uh, the first time, I think the allegation was that it could enable like teen nudity and stuff like that it was a kind of you know it was a moral argument against it um which got shot down in the courts i think it's maybe the perception here is that if you go for a national defense argument that's much harder for mm. to be disproved and to be defeated in a legal battle so it's you know i have to see that the only way i can interpret this is that there were political motivations both times and this one is just them going Right, well, we're going to do it properly this time. No take backsies. <laughs> uh, that was the official line as well, wasn't it? Don? Yeah, that no was a statement from, from India's defense minister. <laughs> Your honor. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wonder whether this is the tip of the iceberg or it's, or it's the safer way to kind of uh, stick it to the Chinese government or, or whoever. Um, 
from India's perspective because there's obviously an underlying uh, aspect of manufacturing as well. A huge amount of Chinese manufacturing mm-hmm. also now, like some of the biggest Chinese manufacturers, especially in the phone space, manufacture or have plants in India. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, Oppo and, and Xiaomi, uh, I think definitely do. Uh, the older iPhones, um, Apple was actually um, the manufacturing for Apple, which is predominantly Chinese-based. Um, they also actually manufacture some of them in India too. Uh, so... I wonder whether this was the, <laughs> the 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 safer way to you know stick it to the Chinese government because if they went after the hardware and the manufacturing side, India would lose a huge amount of of revenue from that. So it's a dangerous game to play, I think. Oh, totally. Yeah, the on the hardware side, they can't hurt China without hurting themselves. And yeah, obviously, exactly. I think it it stings India that it's it's become one of the absolute biggest smartphone markets in the world. Obviously, they're the second most populous country after China, and they have a burgeoning phone market that's become absolutely enormous and everyone wants a piece of. Uh, It's probably the most competitive phone market in the world at the moment. And I think it stings India that pretty much none of that is homegrown and that actually almost all of the dominant players are Chinese. Even I think, say, Samsung's getting sort of squeezed out and it is mostly Chinese brands that dominate the Indian market from my understanding. So I think it does sting them that that is the case. They want, if, if India is going to be a huge market for tech, India wants to be a huge player in tech in a way that it isn't right now. But I think you're right. If they go after hardware, which is kind of what the US did, then all the Chinese companies just start pulling their plants out of India in it, you know, to get back the other way. And that hurts India more. But on the software side, maybe it's got a bit more leeway. Maybe it's got a little less to lose. Yeah, just specifically on this story, obviously there's, I kind of wasn't aware until I kind of read up on this about how big the kind of, particularly on TikTok, how big that kind of community is in India and how people are relying on not only kind of for entertainment, but also kind of for informing people, particularly during this time. But then there's a huge value to then all these young people who are kind of, who are growing up with this technology in India, like any huge market. And then, so obviously, like you said, with it being the second biggest, second most populous country in the world, it's a huge market for TikTok to tap into and it seems to have done that relatively successfully um, so it's kind of interesting to see how much this will hit China because obviously TikTok's become huge here it's become huge in the US as well um, so it's probably not going to hit its success hugely but um, it's interesting one of what kind of knock-on effect that maybe any future social apps that they might be straight up banned before they even had a chance to get um, become part of the Indian culture, I guess. So it's kind of really interesting to see what will, whether this will kind of be uh, a precedent for moving forward, whether India is going to really clamp down on China for all kind of these kind of bits of software, or whether this is more of a one-off. I wonder to your point actually about about it affecting the populace themselves. Um, whether I don't know how visible it is that the Indian government is the reason why TikTok is no longer available in India. But I'm wondering whether those, you know, hundreds of thousands, I don't know the figures specifically of Indian TikTok users there are, or were, I should say, whether they blame the Indian government, whether this is actually turning, you know, a swathe of Indian youth against the government for, mm. you know, being, taking away something that they, they clearly enjoy using. Like totally. There's implications there as well, which is huge. And you could, of course, see it backfire because we are already seeing TikTok being used, being mobilized 
against governments and as a form of protest. Absolutely. Uh, the, the most notable one recently is the Trump rally in Tulsa in the US, where he held a huge rally and TikTok users organized to reserve the free seats at the rally, but not take them. So that he had a rally that was almost empty, uh, but from the Trump pr- pr- going in, they thought it was fully booked out. And actually, he had a rubbish turnout, and there was belly on that. And this was all a TikTok campaign. So you could imagine the same thing, you know, if you if you agitate people in the wrong way, people are using TikTok like that, and it is one weird way youth have figured out how to mobilize themselves. Um, yeah, this, that's definitely this could, actually, be mis- this could be misconstrued as censorship, exactly by the Indian people, like from yeah. the Indian government. Like interesting implications that this all has beyond it being yeah. a political thing. And of course, from the political side, and talking about the US and Tulsa. It's no surprise that lawmakers in the US, Republicans, are looking at India's move and saying, we should be doing that too. Mm. So now people in the US are talking about whether we should be banning TikTok. And the fact that the TikTok TikTok was used to ruin the Tulsa rally is already being cited by Fox News, by Republican Congress people, as one sign that it's a, it's a dangerous app, it's being weaponized against the US, it's being turned against our government, we need to get rid of it. Throw in the China's element, the recent security issues there have been around sort of uh, TikTok taking everything off your clipboard, which they keep claiming is a bug, and people are beginning to be uncertain if it is a bug or a feature. It's I think terrifying. it's you know, <laughs> yeah, everything you type, it's like pulling it exactly. Instantly. And so if that's happening, and then it's being sent to Chinese servers, which is essentially the Indian argument is data is being sent to Chinese servers that shouldn't be. Uh, you can see how it's very easy to make the argument that this is stealing data, this is sending it straight to the Chinese government, this is spying on US citizens, all of that. And then, bam, you could totally see Trump at least trying to get TikTok banned. Uh, and and whether that extends to other Chinese apps, you, you could imagine them trying to, though, though that is the big one, I think. Yeah, that decision, I guess, wouldn't hit... I, I guess Trump would be able to do that without, because I don't think he he's definitely not reliant on TikTok to get his message out there in the same way as he <laughs> no. would be for like I, I don't think Trump Facebook. is on TikTok. No, I'm not sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, that's one where he can do it and not hit his chances because it, like I said, it's probably most likely kind of young people who are already anti-Trump, like you say, are going to organize certain totally. things to kind of undermine yeah. him as president. The, the TikTok demographic and the Trump voting demographic has limited crossover. I'm sure there's some. <laughs> I'm sure there's a potent like gun-toting Republican... Uh, TikTok community out there, and I'd, I'd kind of love to see some, but they 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 are probably a vocal minority rather than anything else. Well, certainly. Uh, the other interesting angle on on I think India's move here is part of the pitch, and whether this I, d- I don't know how much this underlies the motivations or whether it's part of the PR spin of it, is that it's to encourage, you know, more Indian growth in that industry. Like I said, the, it rankles them, I think, that China dominates here and that they're basically being the market for Chinese tech, but not producing that tech themselves. And part of the argument is this gives a chance, you know, Indian, there should be Indian apps that are just as big and there should be an Indian TikTok, not a Chinese TikTok. Um, and a lot of people have criticized this on the grounds that basically, well, you need to have that first. <laughs> Car- carve, carving away all of the sort of the, the Chinese software and then saying, good, now Indians go and make it. Like, there has to be the infrastructure there. And obviously there are Indian app developers, I don't want to suggest there aren't. But there there currently isn't anything that's, it's not like there's a growing thing that I'm aware of, certainly nothing that's breaking out internationally in the way TikTok did, that, that can rival it. And it does feel a bit like putting the cart before the horse if you're trying to encourage Indian software development. 
Um, a lot of people have also pointed out that a lot of the Indian software developers are looking to the Chinese developers and learning from that and sort of uh, taking inspiration there. So again, if you're, I don't know, cutting one off doesn't feel like the right way to build that up. Yeah, and, and, and pulling, you know, the biggest player doesn't necessarily guarantee that anything that India then makes is going to have anywhere near as much success. Really, if you want to make, a, you know, a quality app, it's got to be competitive. So, you know... Yeah, having your competition right there staring you in the face is probably a much better driving force than just taking it away and having no resistance or, or little resistance in that particular avenue whatsoever. It's, and it's an odd angle to take if that is yeah. something that they thought about or said that they yeah. are. You know. And if you're creating a vacuum there, more likely than anything, it's going to be Silicon Valley that comes in and fills it, not, not something homegrown. Um, that's just the blunt reality of it right now. And in fact, if you want to build up something local you don't want a monopoly from any company there in the way what you want is a thriving competitive marketplace with lots of apps that has the space for your one to then you know move up into so if you start um, taking out competition so it's just twitter and facebook left that doesn't help anyone i was gonna make a joke say there's room for vine 2 but actually vine 2 does now exist and maybe <laughs> this is the time <laughs> that bite with why actually rises the power in markets like India because yeah like it it, it, it arrived to very little fanfare because TikTok had already you know yep. put its flag in the ground and was like this is my land so I yeah, did have the same thought yeah if, if bike can uh, capitalize this but again that's an American app that's that's okay. not gonna you know that's not building up an Indian industry in any way uh, I do wonder how long it is before we see a big Indian hardware player though because there must, like you said, the, the factory is already there, the manufacturing is there, and there's a huge Indian market, and I don't know, but you can imagine there might be enthusiasm in the country for buying from an Indian brand if there was one that was competitive. We had some, but they kind of just fizzled out. Yeah, they're, they're, yeah. sorry, there have been attempts. I'm trying to think of any names right now. But I can't I remember the names, but not even that long ago. Like yeah. a couple of years ago, there were still definitely some Indian manufacturers out there that you, know, you could buy their phones in the UK. Yeah. Um, but I haven't seen or heard anything from them since then. But I wonder if they were never able to manufacture at scale because the infrastructure wasn't there. But now there and is. Now that there is, because all the mm. Chinese players are opening factories in India too, maybe that leaves scope for a big Indian company to use that factory space and that manufacturing pipeline to build uh, Indian hardware sort of at the scale that you need to make it competitive in price. Because that's one of the biggest factors that, you know, it's a very price sensitive market, even more than most. Um, and being competitive on price and specs is the accepted wisdom is that's what gets you somewhere in, in India right now, at least. But that does make it very punishing to small companies because yeah. you, you can't hit those price points unless you can build at scale. No, quite. But yeah, that, that is um, clearly at least part of the ambition here. And, uh, as I said, this is all tied up in, a, in an actual border dispute between India and China that I know by, I do not know anywhere near enough about to talk about with any authority, so I'm going to stay well clear of that. But there are other political things in play outside of the tech space, and so it could be one of those things that gets dropped due to nothing to do with phones whatsoever, but there's some negotiation about land, and one of the caveats is you let TikTok back in. That may be what ends up happening. But we'll see. That would be wild if that was on like one of the kind of demands. Of yeah. The, the negotiation was TikTok needs to come back. <laughs> uh, but we'll see. Uh, thank you everyone for watching. Thank you, Toddy and Aniron, for joining me this week. We will be back next week, um, maybe to talk once again about the OnePlus Nord with like three new facts 
to add to the conversation. It comes Hopefully in blue. <laughs> Hopefully we'll know a little bit more about something else. Maybe even a Pixel 4, eh? The, the phone that just has vanished before our eyes. I think when we started Fast Charge back at the beginning of the year, we thought, oh, the Pixel 4a is around the corner. We'll be covering that one soon. Uh, but it's got to turn up eventually. But uh, in the Does meantime, <laughs> jump in the comments. Let us know what you think. Let us know if you'll be trying to pre-order the Nord or if you're going to hold out to find out more about it before you put any money down. And yeah, like and subscribe. Turn on the notification bell to make sure you get each episode every week as we premiere it live. And see you soon. Bye.